Hi, I'm Irwin McManus. I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I want to also bring you into some exciting things that are happening here. If you go to the Mosaic app, you will learn about our conference coming up this year, about MSC's new album and their tour across the country. And you can learn how to connect and be more involved in Mosaic in so many different ways. And by the way, we now have the Mosaic YouTube channel. And you can go access not only these talks, but other fresh and new materials that are being created specifically for that channel. And so if you want to be connected in a richer and fuller way, uh, not only be a part of the podcast, get to the Mosaic app and get to the channel, and we'll see you there. So this week I, I was noticing some statistics that were coming out on different cities across America, and, and it gave us the list, the top 20 teams that have the highest number of people leaving their city, and LA came out number two. So we have more people living Los Angeles than any other city in America except for one, and that's not unusual for us. We're usually in the top one or two. Because people come to LA from all over the world. They come to LA filled with hopes and dreams, aspirations, ambitions, and, and they're usually the best of the best from their own town, their own community, their own city, their own nation. And they're, they're, they're so certain that they're on a path toward their destiny. But when you have 10,000 people who are certain that their destiny is the same one destiny that everyone's fighting for, you end up with so many people who are painfully disappointed. So it doesn't surprise me that people are leaving LA because this happens all the time. Now, hopefully some people are leaving LA because they found a higher intention in their life. Or maybe something so compelling has pulled them away. But I started wondering how many people come to a place like this city filled with hopes and dreams, and when those dreams are crushed, do not find the resilience to discover a new dream. How many people, when they, they lose their way and, and they experience incredible failure, get up and take one other great risk again? Because what I found so many times in this transient culture in which we live, that people don't just move from place to place and city to city, and they don't just move from dream to dream to dream to dream. So oftentimes what happens is once we, we've tried one thing once and we failed, we give up and we don't have the staying power to see life through. And so wherever you are in your destinations of life, because I know there are people listening right now who are not in LA. Some of you may be in London or Berlin, or you may be in Beijing or in Tokyo. Wherever you are right now in your location is not nearly as important as having a staying power in your faith. Because I, I've met so many people who, who just would step into our lives, step into our community, step into the world for a moment, and they just looked like they were a light that would shine forever. But then so quickly, as powerfully as they came in, as powerfully they exited out. And I think we have a mythology because so oftentimes we think, well, if I'm good at something, it should come easy, right? If I'm great at something, it should come really easy. If it's a natural talent, then it should just sort of flow naturally out of me. And then there's that sense of, well, if he can do it, I can do it. I'm more talented than her, so if she can succeed, I can succeed. And there's the mythology of greatness. I think so oftentimes we think that achieving our our highest intention is about being talented enough, intelligent enough, gifted enough, or lucky enough. But is it possible the people we actually admire, the lives that actually inspire us, are not about talent or intelligence or opportunity, but they're actually about staying power, that they just kept at it, 
even when everyone else quit. Then if that's true, imagine how much more that's important and significant in our faith. Have you ever been around somebody who they just have so much faith? Or are there people that just go, God just seems to like to really love them. I wish I could be like them. I wish I could have that much faith. I wish I could have that much courage. I wish that somehow I could have that kind of connection. And, and maybe it's not about a particular virtue in their life. It's about the fact that those virtues have been in their life for a long time. See, I'm convinced that most of us, the talent we need is staying power. The gift we need is staying power. The miracle we need is staying power. If we could just not lose our way, not waver from the course, not give up on the path, we will see the breakthroughs that we've longed for. There's this passage in Hebrews chapter 10 where he talks about the staying power of our faith. I'm going to begin reading at verse 23. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. Not giving up, meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. When I read these words, I'm kind of encouraged, even though they, can, they, they have almost like a subtext of discouragement. Because well, whenever the scriptures actually tell us to take something on, it means people are dropping out, leaving something out. And there is this powerful subtext in the middle of this that actually gives me hope right now. Because it begins by saying, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Now, the only reason he could ever tell us to hold on to something unswervingly, I like that word, it's so hard to say, unswervingly, it sounds like what it is. Because when something is unswervingly, it means that they're swervingly involved. And some of us don't actually realize that faith is full of curse. See, I think a lot of us think that faith is just a straight line. But when he's telling us to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, what he's telling us is the moment you have a hope you profess, the moment you open up your life to Jesus, the moment you trust him with your life, the moment you cross that line of faith, you might actually think life is going to get easier, but it's not. You don't have to hold unswervingly to something that isn't swerving. And so if your life is getting more complicated because of your faith, don't be surprised. Because you need to hold on to it because faith is full of curves. It is full of turns. I think this is where sometimes we get disoriented because we, we, we thought we were going to be fine. We didn't know we needed staying power. We thought if we gave our lives to Jesus that God would just make life a straight line. So we're just sort of like escalating life. God just takes us up without any effort on our own. Look at me. I'm full of faith. You can know that because I don't have to do anything. That's the proof of my faith. It doesn't take any energy, any work, any activity. I'm just sort of, it's chilling in Jesus and it's all beautiful. And then you realize that it doesn't work like that because you're not on an escalator of faith. You're just standing still pretending you're going somewhere. Yeah, you, ever, you ever play that, that game? I don't know what you call it. It's like whiplash. Where you, you, you get in a line and you hold on to people. And then the person in front starts moving and turning. And there's a whole line that's moving and turning. And you try to hold on. You ever played that game? You know who never gets thrown off? 
The person in front. Because they know where they're going. They're creating the chaos. They're deciding where the curves go. You never see the guy in front go, ah! I didn't know I was turning to the left. You know who can't hang on? It's the person in the back. Because whenever there's a curve, the person in the back experiences the whiplash. That's where the severe turns are taking place. So when you first attach yourself to faith, the curves feel more extreme. And you're like, wait a minute, what's going on, God? Where are you? What's happening? I thought you were going to make my life a straight line. No. You need to hold unswervingly. That's one of those onomatopoeias that Felix pointed out to me. Those words that sound like what they're supposed to be. Swervingly. See, I want you to know that faith is full of swerves. And so you better start holding on. And the moment you profess, see, the moment you declare that Jesus is your Lord, the moment you open up your life to him, the moment you say you're going to follow him, get ready. Because the turns are coming. And if you don't know the turns are coming, you will not have staying power. You need to hold tight. But you need to realize this too. The return is in the turns. See, if you want God to do great things in your life, it's in the turns that you meet God. It's not in the straightaways. In fact, in the straightaways, you might forget you need God. In fact, that's the funny thing. After so many years of being here, there's some of you I only see when your life is a mess. Like, I don't even have to ask you how you're doing. I know I know how you're doing. You're a mess because you're here. Because when you're not here, you're doing great. And, and, and we've helped some of you rebuild your lives. And then you're gone. You go, oh, they're doing great. See, I know your marriage is doing okay because you're not here. I know your business is doing well because you're not here. I know you're making money because you're not here. I know you lost all that money because you're here. I know your wife told you she's at the end of herself because you're here. So there's some of you, you are only here holding tight when the turn has thrown you out. And you say, no, you need to hold tight while you're on the straightaway because the turn is coming. And you're going to need to hold tight to what you profess. Years ago, um, when we were getting our master's degree, my brother was in one school, I was in another, and he had a roommate named Delbert. And Delbert became like our family, like our family friend. And Delbert was um, really fragile. And like told me one time, here's this guy, total stranger, his roommate, getting his master's degree. And one night, it was, there was a storm, and it started thundering really loud. And all of a sudden, he heard this noise, and he looked, and the guy had pushed his bed right next to my brother's bed. An adult man put his bed right next to my brother, who he did not know. And Alex said, what are you doing? He goes, Alex, I'm afraid. Like Alex said, I don't care if you're afraid. Get your bed back over there. And he made a moving bed, and then Alex started going to sleep, and it thundered again, shook the room, and he heard the bed right back. He goes, what are you doing? He goes, I'm afraid. Please let me sleep here. And he goes, no, you can't sleep here. Actually, I slept the whole night with my legs pushing against his bed. And we just ended up just adopting Delbert because he was so fun. <laughs> and we took him to Disney World. And Delbert was afraid of everything. He was afraid of everything fast, like, like microwaves and, <laughs> and clocks, you know, anything that moved really fast. And and so we took him to Disney World, but he had limited options. Fantasyland, eating. I mean, those are about his options. And 
So we, we took him to one of the historical or futuristic displays um, called, um, well, what's that called? Oh, yeah, Space Mountain. Space Mountain. And, and the Space Mountain in, in Disney World, there's a long walk where you sing all these displays through this glass and they show you all these spaceships going through and people. And, and we're walking through and he goes, are you sure? Because I don't do roller coasters. I said, no, 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 this is, this is like one of those um, futuristic experiences. It's like a museum and it's a gallery. And, and we're walking through. See, look, we're just looking. And, and, we, and you see, look at the stars, look at the planets. And, and, and you hear, ah! And he goes, what's that? I go, it's, it's all simulation. And, uh, and we just walked our way through. And, and I said, now in a minute, they're going to put us in these little, like, these little carts. And, and they're going to take us into the museum. Or we're going to get to go into a planetarium. And it's going to be like amazing. And he goes, I'm sure, because I don't, I don't do like roller coasters. And, no, this is awesome. And, 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 and we wanted him to have a great seat. And, and I think we, we either put him in the very front or the very back. But I can't remember which end it was. And. And, and he goes, are you, why, why do we need to be back? Oh, it's such a security. It's just it's all protocol. He goes, well, do, do, can I sit? No, no, you need to sit by yourself. You need to have this experience. You can see everything so clearly. And, and then it's just like, he goes real slowly. He goes, you see, Albert, it's just so slow. And he goes, okay, okay, are you sure? It's going to be great. And then, and then, all I can hear is him going, screaming my brother's name, and he goes, I win! My guy, Delbert! It's awesome! Like, no! Help me! And he's screaming the whole, it was like a beautiful experience <laughs> for us. And, and we traumatized him for life. But it was such an important learning lesson that, that, that life is full of curves and unexpected twists and turns and... Now, you know, I, I, I remember as a parent, I might have made a, a small mistake with Mariah when she was maybe, I don't know, nine or ten years old. And I took her, I think, to Disneyland or someplace like that. They have the, the, those water rides. And she was afraid of fast things, and I wanted to help her through that. So I, I picked her up so she could be tall enough to go on the roller coaster with me. And, and she goes, Daddy, what is it? What is it? And I said, it's just this beautiful little, little log ride. And she goes, I don't, I, don't do, I don't want to do roller coasters, Daddy. I said, no, it's just a log ride. And we sat on it together. You, you, one person sits on the lap of the other person. And, and it, it's so slow, just moving along. And it just has one, like, significant drop at the end, right, you know? And we're just like, you see, you see, it's so great. It's so wonderful. She goes, Daddy, okay, it doesn't go any faster than this, right? And I, I, I said, it, it's... It, it, it's going to be wonderful. And, and we got to the very end. They went, Chew! and Mariah went, Ugh! and couldn't even scream. She paralyzed. Her body froze. I thought she died. I thought she died. And, and it, I think it took us another 10 years before she ever got on a roller coaster again. You see, I, I think there's some of you that didn't expect your faith to come with the turns it came with. And then when you experienced your first curve, your first turn, your first drop, you were paralyzed and you became angry with God saying, you didn't tell me it was going to be like this. So I want to tell you up front, faith is not a kiddie ride. It's an intense adventure that will fill you with fear if you're not filled with faith. So he said, so hold on unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let me tell you, the more you profess your hope, 
the more intense the curves are going to get. The more you begin to live your life completely trusting Jesus, the more intense the curves are going to get. The more you begin trusting God with every aspect of your life, the more intense the curves are going to get. So the question is, do you want to live your life in a boring, meaningless, straight line? Or do you want to hold on to that hope? And, and trust that the return is in the turns. Because when you take those hard turns with God, He changes you in the middle of it. He says, then let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. If you're going to have staying power, you not only need to, to hold tight, but you need to lean in. It's interesting that he says, let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. I, I think a lot of times, one of, the, one of the challenging things in a faith experience in a community like ours, is that so many people come here hoping to be loved and served. I mean, I understand it. We, we look for a place that will love us and, and serve us. Maybe we don't say that out loud because it would be really awkward, right? So, you know, I'm a first-time guest. and I just want to know if you're going to love me and serve me and, and do it a lot. See, and, and what's odd to me, sometimes when people are like searching, it's, it's, it's never true of people without faith. People without faith are just trying to make sense of faith. Just try and make sense of God. Just figure out this thing is real. But when people come from other churches, oftentimes they go, I, I, you know, I just want to, I'm just looking for a church that meets my needs. Isn't that crazy? We're looking for a church that meets our needs. That's so odd. You should be looking for a church whose needs you can meet. We get get this whole thing backwards. And I know that we all want to be loved and served. Let's just be real honest. He says you need to move everybody toward love and good deeds, service. But he doesn't say, now consider where you can have these needs met in your life. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. And so what he's actually saying is you need to lean in and realize that you have to pour out what you want poured in. And so if you feel like, well, nobody loves me and no one's serving me, it might be because you're not loving anyone and not serving anyone. See, because it has to pour out of you to get poured back into you. And have you ever had anybody tell you you need to love more and serve more when they don't love or serve? It just doesn't come across right, does it? So you can't really inspire and encourage people to love and serve unless you're Loving and serving. But when you're loving and serving, you become an inspiration to people. When you love and serve, you inspire other people to love and serve. And so if you want to consider how you can spur other people to love and service, live your life for love and service. Just find ways to love people and to serve people. You go, well, I would if there were people that were lovable. You know, some people, everybody wants to love. I want to be their friend. They already have enough friends. If you want to be their friend, they already have enough friends. You want to know why they have enough friends? Because they're loving and serving. Because when you love and serve, you become a magnet. People want to be around you because people want to be loved and served. They go, that person, they just love you. And they'll serve you. But one of the tricky things is, have you ever been around people who just love and serve and you don't want to love and serve? Like, they're so irritating. Could you just chill on the love and serving thing? Like, my wife Kim's like that. She's just always loving and serving. Sometimes they just want to break. Could you just sort of like, like and hang? Just, just like and hang. Don't love and serve. Oh, you know, we need to, we need to love these. Okay, we, I know we need to love these people, honey, but, but, you know, could you just like love and serve me? Just like, just, just like, let's just change the focus for a few moments and just make it a little bit more about me for a few moments. And she's, 
Oh, is this way too much disclosure? And Because uh, none of you want to be loved and served, right? None of you measure relationships on how people are loving and serving you, right? Hmm. I've never seen people stop dating because the other person loved them too much. Served them way too much. I've never heard anybody, I've never heard a girl complain. I had to dump him. Because he just like, he just kept loving me. Like way, way too much. It's like, I'd mess up unconditional love. I mean, how much of that can you take? And then they just keep serving me. I mean, really? Who does he think I am? Someone who needs to be served? Now, I, I want a guy who is uninterested and, a, and uses me, takes advantage of me. I don't want this guy who loves us. No one ever breaks up like that. No guy ever says, man, she just kept loving and serving me. I don't know. It's like, it's way too clingy. You know, let me tell you something. I've never heard a marriage end because the partners were loving and serving each other too much. I've never heard an employer go, I got to fire you. You're way too kind. You're like, everywhere you go, you're like sunshine. And then you're all into this showing up early and staying late. You keep doing work I don't assign you. After you finish the work I did assign you. And then you have this need to do it excellently. I, 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 I have to let you go. You're bringing the morale of all the other employees down because they can't love and serve at the level at which you insist on doing it. Got to get rid of you. No one ever leaves the church because they got to love and serve too much. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? So I, I need to leave because I need some place I can love more and serve more. If you left for that, I'd go, that's awesome. This is amazing that you want to love and serve more. Here's the thing. There's never a relationship that ends because you loved and served too much. But what it does happen sometimes is that relationships are defined because you love and serve too much because people who don't love and serve won't want to be around you. If you keep loving and serving, it makes them feel morally obligated to love and serve as well. I want Mosaic to be a community. I want us to be a people where loving and serving is just what we do. It's just natural to who we are. And people go, what are the expectations here? Just love and serve. What does that look like? It looks different for every person. Love is unique. Love looks differently with every person serving. Serving looks different. See, serving isn't about who you are. Serving is about who they are. And so just find your way to love and serve and make the world better. And let us consider how we spur one another toward love and good deeds. You need to lean in. Because what you pour out is what you get poured in. And then he says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. I think this is amazing. This is right after Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead. I mean, people are still alive when this is being written who knew Jesus. Isn't that incredible? And they were, they were in the habit of not meeting together. I mean, the first meeting together, the first Sunday, the first coming together of the church, it happened on Sunday. I mean, there was no meeting that said, I think we should meet on Sunday. There wasn't a, well, you know, we've been meeting on Saturdays. That's sort of like, oh, that's sort of like last year. Let's, let's do new. Let's do Sunday. 
Do you realize when the church started meeting on Sundays, it disrupted the whole culture? See, everybody took Saturday off. That was the Sabbath. And they worked the other six days. Now the church is meeting together on Sunday, a day everyone was used to working, and they're taking that day off. But they're still honoring their culture, so they're off on Saturday, and now they're off on Sunday. By the way, that's how the weekend started. Isn't that crazy? 2,000 years later, we have weekends. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Even if you don't believe in God, he's changed your life. Uh, you know, Muslims take Fridays off. We might end up with four-day work weeks. Who knows what's going to happen here? If atheists could take Mondays off, <laughs> we would just work Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, have four days off, just in, you know, celebrating everything. And... But you know what's crazy? was that The church began meeting on Sundays because Jesus rose from the dead, and he met them on a Sunday, and he encountered them on a Sunday. He invaded their lives on a Sunday. And then the next Sunday he came back and that's when Thomas was there and Jesus showed up again on Sunday. So they kept meeting on Sundays together because Jesus met them there on Sundays. It wasn't that Jesus wasn't with them during the week, but they knew something special, something unique, something, something life-giving was going to happen when they all came together on Sunday. So the movement on Sunday wasn't a command. It was just a, a, a natural outcome of the movement of Jesus. But then it says, you need to not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I don't know why, but I'm encouraged that some people were not going to church way back then. Because I, I know this may be hard for you to believe, but there are people who believe in Jesus who only like worship together every once in a while. Like there's some of you who won't be here next Sunday because you were here today. I know that's not you, but there are some people who decide every week whether they're going to go and gather together as the church. So I'm encouraged that way back here in the book of Hebrews, they're going, stop it. Don't give up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. People were already in the habit of not meeting together. But encouraging one another, you see, if you're going to have staying power, you need to hold tight, you need to lean in, and you need to stay close. Because something happens when we do life together. It's unexplainable. And I, I know that we're all the church. And we're, we're the church when we're everywhere on Monday through Thursday. But you know what it's like to be together. Something happens when you do life together. When you stay close and you become a tribe. So, so don't give up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another. I just wrote this down because I thought this is a good reminder. I, I, I have so many people tell me, how do I grow? How do I grow in my faith? How do I, where do I go get discipled? Where do I go get mentored? I go, well, here, here's step one. Show up to grow up. Like if you don't show up, you won't grow up. I just meet so many people who spent their whole lives going from church to church to church to church and they just never grew up. They don't realize they're just like rocks skimming on the surface of the water. They never go deep. It's just like the guy who dates 20 girls and thinks he's a great lover. There you go.
I love when something lands. <laughs> it wasn't really my point, but uh, <laughs> I think it probably is. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's just getting to level one twenty times. Not to getting not getting to level twenty one time. You see, I've been married thirty-five years. I'm a great lover. Because <laughs> love is about going deep. There's some of you you want your faith to go deep, but you're just always dating, or maybe you're just always flirting. He says now. If you want to have staying power, you need to stop the habit of not showing up, not giving up meeting together. I think the phrase is important, not giving up meeting together, because it's easy to give up on meeting together. You know why? Because people are imperfect, because people will let you down, because people will fail you. I, I was just talking to someone yesterday from Seattle, and he, and, and he was telling me, oh, you know, we have, we have Christians up here, is what he said, but we've given up on the church. This is the great tragedy. How can you love Jesus and not love the church? Because when people say, I've given up on the church, what they're actually saying is, I've given up on people. See, the church isn't the building. It's not the chairs. It's not the furniture. The church is us. So when you give up on the church, you're giving up on us. And why would you give up on us if we're not giving up on you? And how in the world could you ever give up on us when Jesus won't give up on us? Look, we know we're not perfect. We know we're a mess. But we're not going to give up on each other. We're going to stay close. Because the only way any of us are going to get better, the only way we're going to grow, the only way we're going to get deeper is if we stay in relationship with each other. We get to know each other. We fight with each other. We struggle with each other. And we all grow together. So since some are in the habit of giving up meeting together, why don't we create the habit of meeting together as a priority in life and encouraging one another? Stay close. Maybe one of the first big decisions you can make is, I'm showing up. I'm going to be a part of what God is doing. I'm going to be part of a community. There's this assessment that we've been using for years, and it gives you some really interesting psychological structures of people. And when I first took this assessment, it was with a consultant in Germany, maybe over a decade ago. And... It has this thing called an acceptance score. And in it, I was a little, little surprised. And also this thing that's called um, freedom score. And on the freedom score, it said I had a very low need for freedom. I thought, no, I don't. I, I really resisted it. I said, I, I, I need my freedom. He goes, no, actually, this says you don't really need a lot of freedom. So I said, it's wrong. I need, I need, to, fr- I need to be free to disagree. And... Uh, and he goes, no, it means that you'll commit to community even if that community betrays you or hurts you or disappoints you. And I go, it makes me sound weak. It's funny how uh, commitment to community made me feel weak. He goes, show me any evidence that that's true, that I have no uh, low need for freedom. He said, look, look at your commitment to Mosaic. 25 years, and you don't leave. Okay, but that's like an exception. And I realized, oh, it's true. I value community over freedom because I think community is freedom. I think that when you're alone, you're actually least free because you're in, you're in a prison of isolation and disconnection. 
It's a self-made prison. And I know from experience, this is why some people, you ever met people who are just completely disconnected from everyone? See, maybe that's you, and and this is an awkward moment for you because you're not used to stepping into community. See, the reason we disconnect is because we feel the world has rejected us. So we reject the world so that their pain won't be our pain. There's some of you, you, you've just rejected everyone so you you don't have to experience the pain of rejection. And there's another thing called acceptance. And I say, what's this score? And he goes, this is your relationship to people. And I have this thing called the reversal, which several people I know do. It, It means that you love community and you need people in your life and you want to be connected and you want to to lean in and stay close. But if you feel rejected, you just pull out and you become super isolated and introverted. And this helped me realize, because sometimes, you ever, you ever feel like you're two people, like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Like some moments I feel like, I'm so extroverted, and i got to run from people. And, uh, and sometimes I feel like I'm so introverted, I need somebody in my life. You ever, you ever just like, I, I'm, not, I'm not a good one on either side. I'm not introverted enough to want to be alone all my life. I'm not extroverted enough to want to be with people all my life. And I realize, oh, he goes, what's going on here is this. When... You lean in and you stay close and you find connection, you find belonging, you find community. This is your healthy space. And then when you're stressed out, you feel overwhelmed by life, you run toward complete isolation and you disconnect from everyone. And I think a lot of people can actually relate to that. See, here's the danger. When your faith is being challenged, when your life is a mess, when your world is being turned upside down, the great temptation is to want to run from people. To go, ah, oh, I don't, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to be in community because I need to get my life right. But that's exactly when you should lean in. That's when you need to stay close. See, that moment where you want to avoid people is the moment you need to lean in and find your people. The moment you want to just sort of like cut everybody out, that's the moment you need to open up and let everyone in. It says, so stop doing what they do, giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. This is the staying power. Hold tight, lean in, stay close. And if you'll choose to open up your life to people, if you'll choose to do life with people, even when you feel weak, their strength will carry you. When you feel discouraged, their encouragement will strengthen you. See, when you feel as if you're deflated, they will inspire you. See, the beautiful thing about the way God's designed us is he did not make us to do life alone. He created us to do life together. And I know this about you. No matter how strong you are, how talented you are, how intelligent you are, how gifted you are, how awesome you are, how successful you are, you are not at your best when you're doing life by yourself. You are at your best. You have staying power when you're walking with the people. They're walking together with you. And somehow, your strength becomes their strength. And their strength becomes your strength. And by the way, that's the gift Jesus gives us. Not only do we come into a relationship with Jesus when we cross the line of faith, But Jesus not only gives us himself, he gives us each other. I'm just going to accept you as God's gift in my life. And I hope you accept each other as God's gift to one another.
Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only He can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.